So welcome, Tim. Thank you very much, Jane. Great pleasure to be here. It's a great pleasure to to speak to you, Tim. And uh, I know I've known you for many years and admired your work. And uh, but I'd like you to tell others where you come from, what's the background to your work, and why you're so passionate about it. Oh gosh, well, thank you. Um, that's a big question. Uh, if if we go back without getting into too much detail, uh, but people think you know you're in the health and well-being and fitness and all those sorts of things. Uh, you own a gym, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a time when uh, my health was actually in a pretty dire state. Uh, and in my mid-20s, I was incredibly overweight. Um, I failed a medical. Mm. Blood pressure was 150 over 110. Uh, cholesterol was 9.7. Uh, the body mass index rated me as morbidly obese. Wow. Uh, my doctor was aware that there was a family history of diabetes and, and heart disease. And mm. it's like, this is the perfect storm. And he pretty much gave me a written medical warning. He said, you, you're not going to be alive to see your 30th birthday. Wow. So that was the wake-up call. And, and I do believe that, that most people who are sort of a bit adrift, if you like, some people would say they're a bit off-season with their health, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, is they, they, they need a wake-up call and a line to cross. There's, there's got to be an event or a certain point where they have to stop and say, uh, actually, this is not acceptable anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was the line that I had to cross at that point. Um, and, and since then, it was totally a journey of self-discovery, and a lot of it was hard, some pretty hard lessons. Um, but out of that, I'm, you know, I'm sort of on the other side of 60 years of age now. I've, I've exceeded my doctor's expectations by at least 30 years, and you can't buy those years if you needed to. Uh, and it's all down to the hard work that I put in because I was suddenly motivated that I wanted to live a long time and live a long and active, and that's the key word, an, a, an active, healthy lifestyle. And it wasn't about me. And that was one key thing one of my very good friends said to me at the time. They said, how can you be so incredibly selfish? Mm. I thought, well, what, are you, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it's about the people around you, that your family, your wife, your children, your friends, mm -hmm. people who value you and, you know, um, that, that expect you to be there for. And you thought about them for a second in your miserable life. And so that's the point I thought, well, actually, it is about other people. And that's what motivates me for myself to keep striving to get ahead of the game, get ahead of the aging game. Because aging is a debilitative process, which kicks in from the age of about 30 or 35 years of age. You can't really do much about the days that you're around. That's, you know, you, we're here a day older than we were the day previously. But yeah. the condition that we're in for the years that we're here is important. It's incredibly important. Uh, and that's what motivates me. What motivates me to help other people is that I see people in the same position that I was all those years ago who really don't know where to start. A lot of the information is there. In fact, you can find any information on anything you like at the push of a button. But a lot of people don't know where to start. Mm. And sometimes the job, the task can seem just monumentally impossible. Uh, and people need to know that, yes, there is a way forward. And it doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to join a monastery or, you know, <laughs> anything like that. Just little things that you start doing every day can start making a difference. And here is where to start. This is what to start thinking about and start working working on. And that's kind of what, what gives me the drive to get up every morning and, and, and be enthusiastic about helping people and sort of spreading the word and, and 
putting that education in front of people uh, to, to give them the knowledge. If people have the knowledge, then they are more likely to have the belief. If they have the belief in what they're doing and why they're doing it, then actually executing that becomes less of an effort. It then sort of becomes intrinsic. It becomes second nature. And yeah. when you see that happening in people, gosh, that's hugely inspirational. You know, I just sometimes it's just awe-inspiring to watch the way people take that on board and change and put their life in a completely different direction and very humbling too. Um, and, and, and that, I think, is, is where I'm at today uh, with what we do. And I think particularly people in business tend to be affected the most, mm-hmm. principally because my observation is that business – is and is going to get tougher rather than easier. With technology, it's going to get faster rather than slower, and for a lot of people, more complex and more stressful rather than less. Yet none of us are getting any younger. Um, For example, today is the youngest any of us will ever be. (laughs) That's true, Um, Yes, what a thought. And and people don't think about that. Uh, But what we see is is in, in, in the when the demands and expectations that you have with your employment, with your profession, with your business are increasing at an exponential rate. As we age, instead of seeing people getting younger, stronger, fitter, faster, more energized, more engaged, um, with with a greater capacity to handle workload and stress, Mm -hmm. we're seeing them getting older, slower, sicker, fatter, and weaker, faster than at any time in our human history. So, so, so the question then is, how do you bridge that gap? Mm. When the expectations are increasing upwards, your capacity as you age to deliver on those expectations is decreasing. That's creating an incongruency, a huge gap, a huge shortfall. Um, and that's where people struggle the most. So, so what we've found we can do is come on board and, and I, I don't like to use coaching, but put information in front of people and say, hey, listen, this is what you can do. This is where you can start. These are things that you can do to to start turning this around Um, and giving them that knowledge and empowerment, but also giving them, handing over to them responsibility and self-responsibility to do it. So it's about educating, but also empowering and motivating them um, to push forward on those, uh, on those uh, strategies. So Tim, what's the first and most inspiring uh, piece of information that you would give people, given that they seem to get sort of bogged down with all the information that is available today? Do you know what, Jane? There's there's probably four things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing in each area that I think is critical, but uh, and certainly three. The first one is think about effective exercise. I'm not talking about exercise going madly at it for one, two, three hours, whatever people think they have to do, just effective exercise. And the key thing there would be lift weights. If you had to do anything, I would start with lifting weights. Um, A great uh, honor that I have is to be invited to speak at medical conferences around the world. But also part of that, I get to sit in and listen to some of the world's top scientists, researchers, professors, uh, and experts uh, delivering information about their particular fields. And the key message that comes through time and time again is strong people stay young. Yeah. Strong people stay. It's the most effective strategy for the prevention of frailty as we age, which is the biggest thing. Uh, most people who have to check into an aged care facility or a rest home, there's nothing medically wrong with them. They're just frail. They're just weak. 
and have lost their functional independence, their ability to climb stairs, get in and out of a car, carry their groceries, get in and out of a bath. Those sorts of fundamental activities that we take for granted as younger people, when you lose that functional ability, that's when people become institutionalized, not because they're sick necessarily, but just because they've become weak. So strong people stay young and lifting weights is the key way to do that. We have a mantra, build before you burn. So if you're starting with something, get strong first. Even if you have an agenda to lose weight, and we know that if you want to lose weight effectively, it's a combination of many things. Part of that is going to be doing the aerobic work where you're burning fat in the exercise that you do. It's important that you build a stronger frame, particularly through what we call the power chain, ankle, knee, hip, lower back, uh, but also upstairs with the postural muscles as well, so that when you do that higher volume of activity, your body isn't going to break down. You're not going to get the aches and pains in the ankles and the knees and the hips and the back that people will often get, particularly if you're carrying a bit of weight, as I was. Um, one thing I'd never contemplated jumping straight into was running a marathon. Just the damage that would happen from that would be just too severe. Um, so lift weights, strong people stay young, and build before you burn. I love that mantra, Tim, and I've always remembered that, having seen you present but why do you think, and I know from my own friendship circles, that people still have this idea that in the last third of your life, you're, it's automatic that you're going to fall to pieces and that there's almost nothing you can do about it. Because I don't believe that. And I lift weights every day, but most people don't do that. And their, their expectation is that they will need a stair lift and that they will end up in a wheelchair. And, and they're just on that conveyor belt to that Vision, I suppose. <laughs> you're, do you know what, Jane? You're absolutely 100% correct. I, I would I would tend to take that analogy further rather than conveyor belt. I would call it being on a down escalator. <clears throat> and it's like yeah. the aging process is like everybody is in life is standing on a down escalator. We start at the top. Yeah. And then the closer we get to the bottom, the nuts and bolts that hold us together start coming loose and falling off. And eventually we reach the bottom and that's the finish. Yeah. Um but interestingly, we know that 80%, 80% of the things that age us badly, in other words, the, what they call the lifestyle diseases, um, are lifestyle diseases. And therefore, that implies we have some control over that. So if we were to address some of those, some of those is what Dr. Sergei Zugin calls physiologic errors. We were to address some of those things and turn those habits around. It would be the same as if we were turning around on that down escalator and starting to walk up the down escalator. Yep. Obviously, that's not going to be easy. So aging well is not something that you can take for granted. And if you don't do anything proactively about it, you will follow the course that everybody else does of gradually being carried down the escalator till you reach the bottom. And, and people say, oh, look, we're living a lot longer and all this sort of thing. What we are doing is we're living a lot longer in dependence. Yep. So not independent, but in dependence. Uh, and our quality of life is being diminished earlier on. So we're spending more of our life uh, basically sick towards the end um, than we have done previously. So the idea is if we can turn that around, walk up the down escalator, we effectively start de-aging ourselves and starting to reduce our risk of any of those lifestyle diseases attacking us, including frailty, including dementia, diabetes, mm -hmm. um, heart disease. 
all the all the diseases that are linked to inflammatory disorders, which can be dietary related as well. All the diseases that are linked to um, attrition and and degradation of the physiology as we age. All those things we can we can we know we can turn around, and there are people doing it like yourself, uh, and others who are doing it already. And there are people who are looking forward to living in the 80s, 90s, into their first century, who um, will be functionally active and independently active as well. Yeah. And I think we have a responsibility to do that. Yeah. And where does diet fit into this? Because, you know, I go to events all the time out and about and the food that's presented to me is, to my mind, is not conducive to this way of um staying fit and healthy so again it, it requires quite a commitment and a discipline to think ahead about what am I going to eat today if I'm going to an event do I need to supplement that am I going to eat the sandwiches or am I going to not eat the sandwiches basically because I don't feel sandwiches is conducive to my <laughs> healthy living and I know you and I have stood beside each other at events before mm. with our own little Tupperware boxes of uh, yep. supplemental food haven't we of our of our own provisions yes. red, red cross food parcels that red we take cross with food us parcels, absolutely. where, where we go again, you've got um, to be prepared to go against the flow there because yes. and more and more people do it you know and then people sit next to me at it in a board meeting or an event they say where you know where did you get that salad from mm. that piece of chicken and I say well I asked for it or I brought it with me and they're like oh <laughs> I never thought I could do that oh, why not <laughs> Exactly. I mean, gosh, where do we start with this? I, mean, I have a saying: this you can't have a lean body and a fat head. You know, if you <laughs> if you want a lean body, if you want the lean conditioned body of an athlete, you've got to start thinking like one. And those people are so totally focused; they do organise their meals, yeah. plan your meals like you plan your meetings. You've got to figure out where am I going to be? What do I need to eat? What does my body need? Yes. rather than what do I feel like, because then you just simply become a subject of your emotional responses at the time, whether you're feeling down, whether you're feeling pressured or stressed, then you know you feel like eating something that's probably not good for you. Mm -hmm. The other thing is it's, it's our responsibility not to just sit back passively and accept whatever's dished up on our plate if we want to age well. That's so right. you do have to make an effort. You have to think about preparing meals or where you're going to be, what you order, mm -hmm. and as you said, gosh, you got it so right, just ask. <laughs> you know, we were at a restaurant two days ago and we wanted lamb shanks. We thought, oh, this will be great. And we said, well, what does it come with? And it comes with mashed potato and there's some chips. We said, well, we don't want chips. Mm -hmm. um, we could do without the mashed potato. Could we get us it served with seasonal vegetables? So we did lamb shanks and it was broccoli, carrots, cauliflower, um, asparagus, and it was absolutely beautiful. And all we had to do was ask. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not that tricky, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, but we have to be responsible for it. And in the fitness industry, and we've been guilty for a long time of oversimplifying things, I think, my view, is that we've sort of said, well, to stay in great shape and to age well, all, all, you, all you've got to do is perhaps eat less food and get more exercise. Move your legs and shut your mouth. It's not that difficult. Um, but it is, it is difficult because the human physiology is incredibly complex, but it's also marvelously capable, and to some degree, it is rocket science. But the key is rocket science isn't difficult for a rocket scientist. Uh, and, and being a human being shouldn't be difficult for a human being, but we have to take responsibility because it's our physiology. We can't 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We can't we can't abdicate responsibility for our health to anybody else, and people do that. They're so passive, and they 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 hand everything over to their to their doctor, to their chiropractor, to their physio, to their personal trainer, to their nutritionist, their yoga instructor, um, whoever. As long as they can compartmentalize that, push that off to somebody else, life's going to be fine. Well, the answer is it's not. And nutrition plays a huge part of it. I, I don't know if you remember, years ago, there was a series, um, Dr. Gillian McKeith, You Are What You Eat. I do remember that. Um, and, and those words are still true today. You are what you eat. That's the only resource your body has, the only method your body has to, to fuel and facilitate cellular turnover, which is going on in your body all the time. And if you're not putting quality ingredients into your body, the body doesn't have the right raw materials to regenerate itself at the right level. And so if you're looking at increasing your performance, being more alert, being brighter, being more engaged, having a greater cognitive capacity as you age, uh, you really do have to pay attention to what's going in your mouth, what you're putting on your plate and, and giving that some. And that's where the word mindfulness really has a solid application, I think. Makes so much sense to me, Tim. And I know my yoga teacher has a mantra too, is that um, if you don't look after your body, where on earth are you going to live? <laughs> oh, yes, I love that. I love that. That's so true. So true. So, Tim, what do you make then of the times that we're in? Because we've been through three years of um, you know, trauma, I suppose, for, for most people. And um, fitness doesn't seem to have been the focus of the messaging we've got, but it seems to me that staying mentally and physically strong and healthy must be so important for us in these times, which, which continue to be really uncertain and stressful, as you've said. I, I think there's a marvellous model put out by Jim Lur, Jack Ropple, uh, and others a while ago of the corporate athlete, hmm. uh, and they they sort of identified, if, if you imagine a pyramid or a triangle, the top of the triangle is our spiritual capacity, which is our ethos. It's our, it's our raison d'etre. Why are we here? What's our mission in life? Um, to optimize that and have great capacity in that, underneath we need to be, we need to have our mental faculties together in order to be able to, to do things that we need to achieve in order to feel satisfied with where we're going. And to have that mental capacity, underneath that, we need to build a foundation of emotional capacity yes. so that our emotions are aligned, that we're in a good place, that we're self-confident uh, and, and our mood and everything is in line. But in order to have a good and stable emotional base and to, and to achieve emotional capacity, we need to be in good physical shape because being in good physical shape will determine where our hormones are and our hormones dictate where we are emotionally. And that's where we work is that bottom strata, the base, the foundation of that model, which is the physicality of it, which would be intelligent exercise, strategic nutrition, tactical rest and recovery strategies. In other words, how we sleep and how we regard our recovery, with, even with oscillation cycles during the day of stress and de-stress, mm -hmm. and paying attention to our, to our medical biomarkers. And I think that was neglected in the last three years. That was a conversation that never really took place. Uh, and it was all about um, the messages that everyone's given was about safety, being safe, you know, keep others safe, keep yourself safe, stay a safe distance. Where in fact, we were in a health crisis, not a safety crisis. Yes. And I think that was a major misstep because if we had changed that conversation around and said, help others stay healthy, keep healthy, get healthier, 
Yeah. Uh, our, our actions would have been quite different and the way we approached and thought about this would have been quite different as well. And, and I found it disturbing. And this is across the board, not just in New Zealand where we were at the time, but despite being in a health crisis, <clears throat> not since that began did the Ministry of Health, the Minister of Health, the Director General of Health utter a single word about actual health. Mm. Uh, and I mean about that. Uh, things that simple things that everyday people could do to improve their health and boost their immunity. What happened instead? Well, all the gyms were closed for a start, and, and, and I think you know that's when we're talking about being overweight or obese being one of the key fundamental contraindicators for a poor outcome from COVID, uh, and you close the gyms. I think that was a major mistake. But they also, interestingly, closed all the butcher shops, the greengrocers, the farmers markets, the health stores. And they said, you can get everything you need from supermarkets. Well, I don't know about you, Jane, but I saw what people put in their supermarket trolleys. <laughs> it was alcohol, soft drinks, energy drinks, cakes, biscuits, chocolate, candy, ice cream, crisps, pizza, pies, pastries. Uh, oh, and bog roll. Um, bales and bales of bog roll. Yes, I mean, ser I seriously, if, if you looked in their trolleys, you could not design on purpose a diet lower in dietary fiber if you tried. I mean, what were these people expecting to would happen? Mm -hmm. um, so given the choice, people didn't make the right choice because the messages weren't there. Yeah. How different I think we could have played it if right from the word go, the government and people in positions of influence had said, hey, listen, we're in a health crisis. This thing is attacking people whose immunity is compromised. Let's see what we can do to get the nation healthier. Uh, and it could be little things about sleep, about you know alcohol consumption, caffeine consumption, about exercise, about nutrition, about um, de-stressing and putting ourselves in an environment, about getting outside and getting some vitamin D and improving your immune system that way, about interacting with people in, in a less fearful and open and communicative way uh, to reduce our stress levels. What would we have ended up with? Well, I think people would have had stronger immune systems, more resilient, and therefore fewer poor outcomes from this from the COVID situation. I think we would also have had a healthier workforce, in which case we would have more people turning up to work with greater energy, greater capacity for workload and stress, but also fewer sick days as well. I think on that basis, the economy could have been in a very, very different position than it is today. Uh, and and I don't want to dwell on the negative, but I think that's where we went wrong. So what we need to do now is look ahead and say, okay, this is still an issue because not only on top of that, because people weren't in great physical shape through this period of time, we have suffered emotionally, we have suffered mentally, uh, and people spiritually are hammered as well. Yeah. And my view is I think we need to build it from the base up. And I think that's going to be an effective strategy in the long term. Yes, certainly there's going to be acute cases where people are really in a lot of pain uh, and, and any help that we can give them would be great. But I think we need to also put together some, some blocks underneath at a fundamental level and say, hey, listen, here's what we can do. And I think the government should take a lead on this. I mean, we have health departments for a reason. At the moment, they seem to be uh, in damage control and playing catch up. They're under a lot of stress. They're short on staff. Although, if I can divert on this, I'm still not 100% convinced that our, that our systems are short of facilities or they're short of staff. But what I think we do have is an overwhelm of sickness and ill health. And 
if we can reverse that and people start getting better and less sick and we start putting prevention strategies in for some of these major debilitating diseases, uh, I think going forward that's going to create a lot more positive energy in our nations amongst humanity and will put us in a, a much better place uh, going forward as well. Well, that's a great message, Tim. And yet one of the things that comes out of this podcast and the guests I've had on is, and you've reflected on it really, is the role of self-determination, the role of responsibility and accountability of the individual. And so I wonder, you know, how you see leadership in this area of health and who can lead us and how do we lead ourselves in this time of needing to uh, make a shift I suppose um, because we all thought we were going back to normal but there's no such thing now so we've got to deal with this as I call it a cycle of crisis we've got to deal with the ongoing stress and therefore we've got to step up I think and take responsibility for ourselves our own health and fitness um, I wonder what your thoughts are I totally agree it starts and finishes with ourselves we have to be we have to be accountable for ourselves and the outcomes that, that we achieve or don't achieve because of our failure to act or do the right thing. Mm. I, I, do, I, I do take your point that I think it's going to be hugely important to have inspirational uh, figures and characters that we can draw that inspiration from and motivation from. I also believe that motivation is the same thing as desire. So if you desire something and you and you you seek to to follow a course of action, particularly if it's improving your health, then you will by nature start seeking out information and people who are going to empower you to do that and support you in doing that. And, and you know there there are people at different levels, like at a societal and philosophical level, uh, we take a lot of store by by messages that Jordan Peterson has to say. Professor Eddie Obing would be another one. Mm -hmm. um, People who facilitate information like Lewis Howes from the School of Greatness, uh, who spends his time sourcing people of inspiration and experts in their fields, and people like yourself who are putting podcasts together where they're bringing people in with different views and expertise that people can draw inspiration from. There's loads of medical people that, uh, that will have the science behind them. Um, certainly in the UK, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, Dr. Pradeep um, Jamnadas, uh, and even Dr. Andrew Huberman, particularly in the field of neuroscience, and um, when you're looking at strategies for mental health and emotional well-being, um, I find him to be a huge inspiration and a great source of solid, reliable, doable information. Um, and in nutrition, there's loads, you know, like Dr. Eric Berg, Dr. Mark Hyman, Stephen Gundry, those sorts of people that we can draw inspiration from. But that's all they should be there for is to give us the resources, the inspiration and motivation to to do things for ourselves because basically, other than that, we're on our own. There's no help coming. Uh, <laughs> and we we need to be, if we want to make it, we, we're going to have to be responsible to do it. But I think we also need to understand that we are not alone. You're not alone in this. There are tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people, we are all in the same boat. Uh, and you will find with conversations that you have that there are like-minded people, whether you find them in the gym, whether you find them in your running club, whether you find them on the sports field, who are motivated to, to bring themselves to a greater position of well-being. 
um, you will find them and you'll gather those people around you and form communities. And, and I think, and I wonder if that's kind of what we've been missing. And the deeper we get into this technological age where we're becoming more connected but have fewer personal connections, if you like, um, that we're losing that sense of community. And I, and I think there's a danger in that, that we lose our sense of humanity as well. I don't know what you think about that. I do, actually. I was running a workshop yesterday and I look I look at the difference in conflict between how we end up or how we when we're in conflict, we descend, if you like, into a state where we feel, although we may be acting strong and aggressive, we actually feel weak and we're self-absorbed. Mm -hmm. so we're in a bubble um, or, or on that conveyor belt. You know, I can only I can only see my own perspective and what I've got to do today. I'm not connected to the wider community or anybody else around me at any meaningful level. And then on the other side uh, is feeling strong and responsive and I'm able to respond to others. And on the, on the one side, uh, you're kind of demonizing everybody and you feel like a victim of whatever's going on. But on the other side, uh, it's about humanity and humanizing. And I think I felt, I reflected yesterday that that's what is missing. Um, not only do we dehumanize each other, and that can be a simple thing as came up from my workshop yesterday of choosing to send an email rather than pick up the phone or choosing not mm. to meet someone. <clears throat> you know, we've made, yeah. we're now making these choices of, I won't meet up with people, I'll, I'll be on a Zoom call or I won't go into the office today. And maybe at some level those are useful, but we're in danger of descending into that bubble and living in that bubble and not really connecting deeply with our colleagues, fellow human beings, not creating these groups and tribes that we could use uh, for, you know, for, for so many purposes to re to mm. re reconnect with ourselves to re and I just feel that's what we're missing. And I mean, I've been so fortunate during the last three years to belong to a number of groups that have met, per, you know, in person and online that have really kept me going. I belong to a group called Power Half Hour, which meets every morning and we check in with each other on all of these things. You know, what are we doing today on a health level, uh, mental health level? What are our actions for today? So goal setting, that's really, really important to me. Um, every day. That, that's extraordinary. Yeah. And then my blogs every day, I think, is also just a way of me reflecting on what's going on mm. in the world, really. But, you know, again, all of these things are a discipline, aren't they? Uh, yes. Choir, for example, you know, belonging to a choir, community choir, we've continued to shop at the local farmers market. So supporting local uh, farmers and we continue to do that in lockdown because we were on there less they came and delivered to our doors. So we didn't we didn't go mm. short food because we built the relationships with our local suppliers but i think all of this requires you to have a a mindset of community and a mindset of connecting to other people on a deeper level on a day-to-day -day basis and not just sticking in your bubble and thinking here's the tasks i've got to do today yes in my business and it, it is a different mindset tim and i think i was going to ask you but maybe i'm answering my own question what we need to do to lead ourselves uh, through the next uh, few years, you know. Well, uh, do you know what? I, th I think the situation has created an interesting dynamic and interesting problem, but also perhaps a marvellous solution. 
Yeah. In, in that if you think back four years ago, if somebody told you they had Zoom fatigue, you'd tell them to stop rushing about. <laughs> um, but it's, it's got, it, it got to the point where that was by default. We weren't in the office. We were disconnected from contact with people, and that was the only way we could run our businesses and, and, and so forth, which is fine. Now that people that's opened up, people are coming back into the office, they're almost relearning how to communicate at a personal level again. Um, but I wonder if there's also an element of human laziness that people actually prefer a Zoom call yeah. or writing an email because it's just easier. You can switch on, switch off, and then and and there's no responsibility. A good friend of mine, Peter Nixon, has a saying: the answer lies in the dialogue. And and, and as a mediator, negotiator, you'll be very familiar with that. Mm. And I think people have missed the art of conversation, yeah. and and have become less skilled in it. And I think the the new generation coming through will not have that grounding in how to hold a constructive, uh, open, uh, unjudgmental uh, kind of conversation where important issues need to be discussed without people jumping on a bandwagon and becoming internet trolls. Um, and, and I think you've hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the word community, because I think we need to reconnect with our humanity and our community. Um, I, I have a personal caution in rushing in and embracing high tech and particularly AI, which would take over a lot of the things that our human judgment and emotions would be in control of, <clears throat> of, of facilitating. Yes. Um, biotech is one area that I've got a particular interest in, particularly when it comes to our health. Uh, you know, the, the creation of what they call bioabsorbable um, vascular scaffolds, which basically is a stent. Uh, that embeds itself in your arteries. Um, that's high tech. Um, but then that also becomes part of you and you have technology embedded in your humanity and that creates, I think, an interesting dynamic. I think if we get to the point where health interventions become licensable, in other words, things that we embed in ourselves or allow to be embedded in ourselves then become an ongoing part of a, a, an intellectual property licensable type of agreement, I think we're in really serious trouble because who owns us? Who owns our humanity? Have we just sold our humanity to to the corporate that owns those that technology? You know, Whoever owns the technology is going to own our health. What does that say about our independence and our humanity? I think that could be something we need to be very, very careful how we navigate forward and to make sure that there are appropriate checks and balances in place that are irrevocable um, that allow us to do that with some safety <clears throat> and some surety. I also think that things have got terribly overcomplicated where simple matters have become over-legislated uh, to the point that blanket legislation certainly doesn't suit everybody, that from a democratic level, things that we need as humans and as communities and those concerns are not being listened to because our systems have become legislative, therefore autocratic, top-down, mm -hmm. rather than the people, the voice of the people and the communities that make up those people uh, organising themselves and thriving on themselves uh, and being in touch with, with the needs of those communities. <clears throat> and, and I really think you can't really go past the basic tenets of, of what, what's called common law, and that is do no harm, cause no loss, remain in honour. Uh, those are the three main tenets. I would, I would suggest a fourth, fourth one uh, for consideration, which is don't, don't be a dickhead. Um, and I think if we, if we can work to those 
in our communities, there's really, I mean, that's the basis of the Ten Commandments as well, if you think it through. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if a big part of our failure to, to um, maintain law and order, control, community adhesion, and love and respect for one another comes from our failure to be able to adhere to those simple ten lines inscribed on a tablet of stone. Um, and I think acceptance and respect for our fellow human beings needs to be prioritized once again, no matter who we are, what our views are. We're all human beings. We're all in the same boat. None of us get out of this alive, by the way. Um, and, and, and everybody has a different way of looking at it. That's the beauty that, and the complexity that makes us human. I mean, 20 years ago, an LGBT was a sandwich. Mm. Uh, and now we, we've, we've made this big issue, this big thing. And I think, look, if we just regard and respect people for who we are as individuals, I think we'd get on a lot better. And that will help us build these supportive, integrated communities where energy and love and respect um, and common goals and desires come together to, to make us all stronger and form the type of society that we will possibly enjoy much better living in in the future. That's such a wonderful message, Tim, and a, and a very empowering vision to end on, I think. Um, where can people find you, Tim, if they want to find out more about you? Um, we can put that in the show notes. Um, I do have a, a more of a personal presence on Facebook, um, mm -hmm. but LinkedIn, you'll definitely find me on LinkedIn. And I'm always really happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. And I think it's a great platform yeah. uh, to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and we can have any sort of conversations on from there if people need help or want to connect. I'd be really happy to um, to open that up. Um, there's one thing I would like to say in closing, if, if I was to summarize our, my approach to our entire conversation, which I have to say I've absolutely enjoyed so thoroughly, um, it's this. Your health is your most valuable asset. You need to think of your health as an investment. It is the only thing that you truly own that will become more valuable to you as you age. Uh, you can be successful, you can be famous, you can be rich, you can be all those things. And I've met and worked with people, and you will have as well, who are in that position. But honestly, they know the same as you know. They're no different from anybody else. It doesn't matter who you are or where you get in life. If you lose your health, you have nothing. Mm. So my message is prioritize that, start thinking about it, treat it as something important. And if you need help with that or advice or you want to connect with me, please do uh, do reach out. It'd be a great pleasure. Wonderful, Tim. I have also thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and have admired and followed you for many years. So thank you so much for making the time uh, for today's interview. Thank you, Tim. You're so welcome. Thank you, Jane.